To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's up, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Andy May. It's the first time I've ever uh, uh, met and talked with Andy. We've interacted a little bit through social media, but what a fantastic guy. Like, um, we start off talking about our daughters and um, raising kids and uh, kind of the some of the the, the morals and ethics that we're trying to instill and, and hard work and how to approach that. It, it was really interesting. And then we get into bow hunting and Andy's, Andy's base is hunting whitetails, but he started traveling across the West hunting mule deer and, uh, hunting elk. And it's, uh, just made for a great conversation. He's, um, he, he's a really thought out, uh, a strategic bow hunter. He talks about uh, being able to get it done in short amounts of time as he's a school teacher and doesn't get a ton of time in the fall. And so, you know, he talks about traveling ac- across the country to hunt for three days. Uh, but it just made for this great podcast. Like he's a, uh, his heart is in the West and in uh, mule deer like mine is. And so it just made for this great engaging conversation that I think you guys will really enjoy. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Matthews Archery. Uh, that new phase four is a shooter. I am so impressed by this bow. I think I'm shooting this bow better than I've shot any bow uh, in my in my career. Like, um, man, that thing is just shooting so well. I got such a good tune in it. And that's the thing with Matthews is it really holds the tune. Like I can take last year's bow or two years ago's bow and shoot it through paper. And the thing is still precisely tuned. Like it holds that tune. It stands up to all the rugged abuse. I give it in the back country. I mean, uh, heck half the time I'm using my, uh, front stabilizer as a walking stick on my bow. Uh, so I really abuse these things, but it just holds up to all my abuse. The thing is shooting Matthews is building such forgiving bows. And um, also, uh, the sound coming out of that Phase 4, it is the quietest bow I've ever shot, which gives me a major advantage on animals not jumping my string, like mule deer, like axis, like antelope. Um, and, and in fact, it's so quiet that when I was in Australia, uh, nobody knew that I shot that red deer, and so I came back to discuss that red deer, and, and then he goes, you know, we were talking about it and I thought they knew I had shot him and we get five minutes into the conversation and, um, I go, Oh no, I, I killed him. I killed that stag. I shot him at 20 yards. He's, he's over there dead. We just got to trail him up. And the guys were so surprised. And same thing with that sandbar. Josh was actually 40 or 50 yards behind me is all. When I snuck in on that sandbar, I shot it. And same thing, I came down and had a conversation, and he didn't know I had shot. I had pulled the same thing on him, you know, five minutes into the conversation with, no, I I shot that stag up there, and he didn't even know I had shot. It's just so quiet, which is such an advantage, so forgiving. I'm just so in love with these Matthews bows, and this Phase 4 is shooting so good for me. So if you're in the market for a new bow, make sure to go check out Matthews and at least shoot it and see if it's a good fit for you. I also want to thank Forever Barnwood. Uh, so I just sent some photos 
uh, over to Jason to Forever Barnwood. I'm so impressed by his products. So I'm using these products through Barney Construction. I used his products for my personal house, and it's absolutely one of a kind. Uh, I mean, mine is a Western-style home, so it fits really well, but I used his... Uh, his custom doors, I used his base and case trim, I used his beams, I used some of his shiplap for the back of the bar, I used posts for around the fireplace, just an amazing product, and it's actually new wood, uh, so he's able to match the lot of it, match the colors of it, and it's new wood, and he used this this process of impregnating the wood with the finish, which which comes out to be this grayish-brown look. He's got a couple different finish, 100-year-old look, where, uh, you know, it's really indented in the grain. And then he also has like this skip sawn look. And I use the skip sawn for my place, but it's absolutely beautiful. One of a kind, great price point, really good mill. Like all my trim was straight on it. it it's just an absolute superior product. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm definitely using it in the houses that I'm doing. The clients that walk through my house absolutely love it. Uh, he'll do packages, ship anywhere in the United States. Just a great company. Make sure to go check them out at Forever Barnwood. I also want to thank Stone Glacier. Uh, I love this company, Stone Glacier. I love the guys that work for them. Uh, they're the real deal. They're out there working hard on public lands, uh, draw tags, just like we are, you know, and they're out grinding. I mean, I... I love, I've had Andrew on the podcast, I've had Zach on the podcast, both super solid guys that I want to get back on. I really like Lyle in there, Kurt, uh, and I'm lining up a podcast with those guys now to get them on, but just superior products, and they're built like for me, like ultra lightweight. So I'm using their sleep system, so I'm using their tents. They have a bomb-proof one-man and now two-man tent that's a four-season tent that'll withstand anything you throw at it. It's my bomb-proof shelter if I'm going to go into nasty weather. I also really like their bivy tent. It's a Sky Air Ultra. And um, this thing... Um, it's a modular system, so I have the floor in it, and then I also have the vestibule, and then the tent itself, which is a single wall design. Uh, but the thing weighs a pound and a half for a bivy tent, and I use this on all my early season, even into mid-season. It, it's just a bomb-proof shelter that I can take that's super lightweight that I can set up anywhere. It's a great system. And then also using their sleeping bags. Um, I'm running their 15 degree, which it actually keeps warm to 15 degrees. Uh, they also have a zero degree, and then they've got a 30 degree blanket. Uh, 30 degree blanket for me, um, it's fairly open and something I only use in the early season. So I'll use it for early season hunts like August hunts and things of that nature. Um, but once it gets into September, I'm using that 15 degree bag, but just a, a great product. Uh, and I really like those guys and all their products they offer. So make sure to go check them out over at Stone Glacier. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. They carry all the top name brands as well as their own brand. They have a knowledgeable staff that are also hunters that can answer your questions. And uh, you can save some money, too. I've got a promo code for it where you can save 10%. Just put in the code ELEVATED10, and uh, you'll save 10% off your first order there. So uh, thanks to Black Ovis for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is an app where you get 
uh, new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. You can save a pile of money on overstock gear, and they're all top-name brands. So I know my buddies watch this site, pick up some great deals, and sometimes show up to camp matching in uh, some of their uh, big savings gear that they were able to get. But uh, make sure to go check them out. They're over at Camo Fire. Over at Eastman's, I'm planning a trip over there. I'm going to shoot over there next Monday and Tuesday. Um, we've got some exciting things in the works. So I have been recording with Dan Bacar, and we are getting ready to launch a spinoff podcast where it's Dan Bacar and I, where we go further in-depth about bow hunting. Uh, so uh, it's... Me and Dan just have such good chemistry and a connection, and I just love having him on the podcast that uh, I thought we'd start a podcast with just Dan and I. Um, you know, right now, I'm not sure if we're going to plan it every week or every other week, but I've got a few of them recorded that are just great recordings. And so we're getting ready for the launch of this. I'll make sure to let you guys know when it launches. But if you like this podcast, you'll like that podcast as well. So really excited about that. We had the mule deer course. I also worked really hard on with Dan Bacar and Guy Eastman. Um, I told you guys it's like everything I've learned about traveling and hunting mule deer the last 25 years. It's like every different habitat. It's um, uh, different seasons. It's different weapons. It's in-depth stalking. It's in-depth glassing and finding deer. Uh, you know, I really think it furthers your learning curve hunting mule deer by years just by going through this two-week course. It's all done through the internet. It's all done through a video format where there's over 100 videos that you watch, and it walks you through each chapter and again, everything I know about hunting mule deer. So it's a real asset. I wish I had this when I was younger. I definitely would have cut my learning curve by a handful of years. So go check that out. We have a promo code for it. Brian MDC, uh, that'll save you 10% on the mule deer course. Uh, also, we have our uh, Eastman's Tag Hub. If you put in the promo code Brian, that'll get you a free subscription to Mountain Tough Fitness, which I really enjoy doing. Uh, they have great workouts. They have workouts that you can do with no gear, minimal, let me say that again, minimal gear or a full gym setup. So you get that. Uh, uh, with Eastman's Tag Hub, which I'm using a ton right now as I'm applying for all these western states. Uh, that promo code is Brian. Put that in, and um, that'll get you that free subscription. And uh, as far as the magazines go, just finished up a Next Level Elk Hunting um, article that'll go in the next Eastman's Hunting Journal. You can check that out. I had a bear one that comes out here in the next couple days. Uh, for the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, um, just everything I've learned about hunting bears is bears can be a bit of a black magic. So really proud at how that one came out. Uh, they, the magazines, we do six issues a year of the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and six issues of the Eastman's Hunting Journal. I really think it's one of the best reads out there. Our subscriber stories, our pro staff articles, uh, gear reviews. Uh, uh, tons of stuff in those magazines. And um, so check that out for a subscription. Uh, we also, oh yeah, we've got Beyond the Grid, and um, which is, you can watch on YouTube. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. That'll pop out. And I uh, got a few hunts on there and a few more coming up that I'm really proud of. And um, man, that's about it. Going to run over to that Eastman's office and get some work done here and uh, yeah, just trying to line up some really good guests for you for this summer leading into hunting season. 
And uh, I think I've got that done. But it all starts today. Like, uh, man, this is a great one with Andy May. Such a great in-depth conversation. I really appreciate him taking the time and sharing all this knowledge that he's gained about chasing mule deer out west, stalking mule deer mindset. Uh, just a really fun conversation. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Good, man. You're up early, huh? Yeah, yeah. Up early and rolling here. Yeah, two hours difference on the time, huh? Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I'm an early riser too. I already went to the gym, got a few shots in with the bow, and uh, this is this is perfect for me because I, I get up about 5, 5.30. Um, that's about as long as I can sleep in. Yeah, that's like me too. Good. Well, you're um, yeah, you're winning this morning. Uh, already getting yep. your workout and bow shot, and then uh, daughter dropped off. You said so. Yeah, it's um, I'm productive in the mornings as well. It's like my best time of day. Yeah, I actually uh, I was supposed to um, have to drop my daughter off, and I was a little worried about the, the time, but I ended up getting that handled, so I didn't have to do that. But I'm on my spring break right now, so. Um, I always get up before work and, and go to the gym. That's just kind of my routine, but I'm, I'm off this week. Um, couldn't travel or anything. So, um, just been doing a lot of scouting, a lot of shooting my bow, um, my daughter's in basketball and stuff. So we've been doing a lot of workouts, things like that, but it's been fun. It's, um, it's so good when you, when we can include our daughters in those workouts, isn't it? And, um, spend oh, that quality time and, uh, uh, go through, um, challenges with them and suffer a bit. Like it's great. I love sharing that with my daughters. Yeah, it's, it's the best. I mean, that's, that's probably what I get the most joy out of, to be honest with you. And just trying to teach her, um, you know, because her passion right now, um, is basketball and I'm just trying to teach her about hard work and, and dedication and discipline. And she, you know, she's like a lot of kids these days that, Know, tend to be glued to their phones and you know don't have a lot of struggle in their life so I'm, I'm really trying to teach her that stuff but it, it's hard in this day and age you know it's really it's really hard but I'm hoping you know just by just kind of being an example I mean she's really um, inspired me to be just a better person and, and more of a, a leader and a good example you know so I, I just want her to have uh, have those experiences that have carried her you know, through life, you know, it's just so, it's so easy on these kids these days. You, you want to see them struggle with some adversity and some difficulties and make some tough choices. Uh, but it's, it's, it's hard these days. Man, uh, likewise. Yeah, I feel your struggle. I'm the same way as a dad, uh, trying so hard to, to teach these qualities and um, to to be able to teach my daughter how to live a meaningful, fulfilling life. And, and um, you know, her love isn't my love, just like you stated your daughter in basketball. Like, uh, she loves to get outdoors with me, and she'll go hunting with me or go fishing, and she really looks forward to these hunting adventures every year. And so that's like a great time for me to be able to teach those lessons. Uh, but it, it is about teaching these lessons year-round, and these kids – 
they're not born with mental toughness. Nobody is. Nobody, nobody's born uh, with these attributes. They're earned. And so as they're growing up, you have to teach these lessons. And same with my daughters. You know, the uh, devices are a, a, a big part of normal life. And I got like an appreciation the other day. Like my college daughter was home and I had to get a tax form for school that I had to get turned in and just watching her navigate the internet like I'm pretty handy and I work with it every single day and I constantly have to figure things out and I just watch her on that thing and she she's better than I'll ever be as far as just the way she moves through the internet and loads things up the way she finds information like it was amazing just to watch her navigate on there like they pick it up so quick it's second nature to them but man I'm with you it's that same struggle of trying to teach these lessons and um, uh, trying to teach behavior and how to be a leader and and that's the best way to do it I think is like through every day through those workouts that you're trying to do like I got to convince my daughters to do them with me as well and then these sports like um you know my kids have just fallen in love with sports so my youngest daughter's in softball right now just finished up basketball had volleyball before that and now she's getting into high school sports she's a freshman and so there's more dedication there's more work there you know and there's also struggle there there's a uh, challenge trying to be a starter on your team there's challenge of um, uh, really high pressure situations like her playing against the varsity you know with all her friends watching and um, you know and making mistakes too you know but um, yeah I, I think that's I think that's the way to go about it, and it's such a big responsibility raising these kids, and you just want them to live a happy, fulfilling life. And so it is like a combination of setting an example and showing them to chase their passions, having these discussions with them, and then having these tools like sports and things to be able to teach these lessons. But uh, I, I struggle with it too. It's tough to be a dad in today's day and age. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you said it, man. It 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 is. It's it brings me the most joy and sometimes the most frustration. It's like, you know, you see your kids, they they have these talents and stuff, and and uh, more talent than I ever had in sports. And it's just like you want them, you want so bad for them to like maximize that talent and and have like this extreme like hard work and dedication and discipline that you know we probably for sure didn't have at that age. <laughs> you know, it's like it's come later in life when you see, you know, results of something you're passionate about and, and the more work you put in, the more you get out of it. It's like, we want them to understand that and know that now while they're young and they got all these opportunities in front of them. And it's just a, man, it's a constant battle. I get real frustrated and I have to remind myself sometimes like, don't be so intense, you know, don't be so intense <laughs> with her and, and let her be a kid. And if she, if she really, really loves this, um, you know, if she's really passionate about it, She's going to find a way to put in the work. I can't talk her into, uh, you know, going to work out and putting into all this extra work constantly because that, that won't be sustainable. So my, my job is to let her know, you know, the path, kind of show her the path, encourage her um, and support her. Um, but if it's a if it's a huge struggle and it's a fight and it's, it's just, you know, my daughter loves to bass fish. I love to fish. So, I mean. If, if she doesn't have a career in uh, in basketball, I mean, shoot, we could be out fishing all the time. Happy, <laughs> you know. So I, I gotta I gotta gotta bring things back into perspective sometimes. But um, 
Yeah, it's fun, man. It's fun and, and frustrating. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's described perfectly. It is. Yeah, you want them to have these traits, but it's it's right. You know, it, you know, at least for me, it's been 40 years to get to where I'm at. And man, if I could take my attitude and knowledge and go back to being 16, oh my gosh, would I slay the world? You know, not that I haven't made a great life for myself, but. You know, you just don't have it at 16, and at least us guys, we're like two-point bucks, you know, during the rut. We don't we don't really know what's important or which way to turn, and, you know, I learned that hard work and, dis- and discipline at a young age, but, you know, I definitely didn't practice it as well as I practice it now. And so, yeah, we just want to implement that in our kids, and it's it's that same thing. It's like, man, I can see the path. I can see... You know, if my daughter, you know, she loves basketball with with all her heart and it's like, well, you know, if you really want to be good at it, it's like give her the tools and then she has to make the decision. It's like, well, you should really be trail running with me every day. Like uh, uh, your advantage on the court is that you're really quick and you don't get tired. Like, let's maximize that. Or, you know, we should be shooting, you know. Every day or every weekend, you know, that's what we should be doing. But she's got, you know, she's got all these irons in the fire trying to figure out what it is she does love. And so, you know, now she's into softball practice and that's six days a week and uh, she has her schooling. And I'm really proud of my girls of what they've accomplished and just their dedication to their schoolwork and creating the life they want to live. And, uh, you know, us in our household, that's like one of the most important things. And they, they definitely check those boxes. I never have to check in on their homework, their schoolwork, their grades. They're always getting that done, you know, but on top of that, yeah, you just, um, you see this opportunity in front of them, this opportunity, you know, when you're young is that you can create any life you want to live. And really, this is a lesson for us guys, too, is even at 30, even at 40, you know, we're still young and still have a lot of life and we can create any life we want to live. We just have to work towards it, you know. And so as much as it is like a lesson for these girls, it's it's also like living our life to the fullest and chasing our passions and dreams and letting them see this hard work and letting them see it come to fruition. Like, I think those are great lessons too, but it's definitely a struggle, man. They didn't make a handbook for it. And, and even if there was a handbook, it'd be outdated about every 10 years this thing changed and there's no handbook for the internet, you know, nowadays, but uh, they're good kids and they're going to make a good life for themselves. Like we just have to keep guiding them in the right Right direction and really just love and encouragement and um, uh, being present with them, being able to sit down and have these in-depth conversations. Like I think that's all like really important to being a good dad. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's you're spot on. Um, yeah, I. Uh, that's one thing I you know I picked up from you. You know, listening to your podcast and stuff, I can sense that you're you know a real good and passionate father and. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, that's a, I mean, that's my number one priority. I mean, hunting, hunting is a very, very distant second to being a, a good dad and a present dad and just trying to be a, you know, a good leader. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys out there that, um, have those switched, you know, that, that really do. And, uh, you know, no judgment, but, um, I, I just, I have a lot of respect for, you know, for you. Cause I've, I've, I've heard you mention it a lot. You hunt at a high level, you parent at a, a higher level. So good for you, man. It's awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, and likewise, man. Um, yeah, you definitely see like um, following you and um, where your priorities lie. And uh, you know, it's it's tough. It's a it's a balance in life. Even us with as being dads is like, um, you know, you can't stop everything you love either. Drop everything to be a dad because you can't really enrich your kids' lives you know, unless you're happy yourself. And, and yeah. at least for me, like it is the number family is number one, without a doubt, I drop everything for family at any point in time. But, you know, I also have to chase my dreams and be happy in my own skin and in my own life and have this passion and this love for something, you know, it, and then that, that, you know, makes me want to be a better father. It makes me want to enrich their lives. And so it, it's a, uh, it's like this tough balance. Like you can't just focus on one thing. Like you also have to focus on your personal happy happiness, chasing your own passion, setting an example there. And, and then you can enrich their lives and encourage them that, Hey, if you have passion for something like basketball, like, you know, you can put more effort in than these other girls. You know, you, if you really want to be good at basketball, like there is a path for that and it's through hard work and it's through discipline and, um, you know, and these girls at your level aren't putting in the work that you're putting in and, you know, you're just only given what you're given genetically and then it comes down to how hard you want to work. And so, um, it, it, it's like a, it's a balance with life, right? And you don't want to get too upside down one way. And that goes for, you know, you don't want to, you know, if I work too much, I, I, um, you know, and work creates this lifestyle for my family. It creates money, which creates opportunities, things that we can go do. But in that same breath, when I start working too much and start doing these 12 or 14 hour days and I don't get a break and I don't get to the river, I don't get to the mountains, you know, I start slipping into depression myself. And if I'm depressed, like I can't be present with my daughter and I'm not having these honest conversations like I should. So, man, life is just all about balance between work and family and then uh, these this this passion that we have for the outdoors and hunting. And it's um, it's tough to find that balance all the time. You know, it seems. Yeah, man, you're right. It, yeah, it is a balance. And yeah, I mean, that's a, an awesome, an awesome point. Like I hope my daughter sees me, um, you know, pretty much daily trying to do, trying to do something, um, to be a better bow hunter, whether, uh, you know, whether I'm on the computer for five minutes and I'm, you know, doing some map scouting or I'm shooting my bow, uh, you know, it might be, it might be three arrows, you know, because we got all this stuff to do, or she might see me out there for an hour or two, but doing something every day towards my passion and then just kind of tempering it back when we got family priorities. And when there's more free time, I'm really hitting it hard. You know, I, I hope my goal is, is that she sees that and recognizes that and can use that later in life and, and whatever she chooses, whether it's, you know, her work career to, to get further up the ladder, or if it's an athletics or a musical instrument, I always told her, I was like, I don't, you know, I love watching you play basketball. I love basketball. I played basketball. Um, it's, it's probably my favorite game to watch. Um, but if you were passionate about playing the piano, I would be just as proud if you are working hard on those keys and, and getting trained and, and working at it and, uh, you know, learning all these different notes and songs and stuff, I would just be so happy just to see you doing something you love. So 
I'm hoping that I'm instilling that in her. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, you know, I've been in a, I've been in a really tough, um, I think in a tough career wise when it comes to hunting, because I work at a school, um, you know, so I don't get the vacation time off at all. We get two personal days a year. Um, my vacations are set in stone, like, um, you know, spring break, Christmas break, summer. Um, I work through the summer, but you know, those are my times off and it, it doesn't really mesh up well, you know, for, uh, for bow hunting seasons. Um, I'm pretty much, you know, used to be in a weekend warrior. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard for me because my heart wants these, these big adventures. And I've, I've been able to, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been able to hunt a lot of different places. Um, but it's always on a very time constraint and I've never been able to like very rarely just go and, you know, experience like a, a 10 to 12 day hunt. Um, you know, everything has been, kind of get there, get it done quick, get home, get back to work. And and that's just kind of, kind of been my style or what I've had to deal with. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard, man, because I'm, I'm always scratching and clawing for more of that time, more of that time in the woods. And, um, you know, you're working that job, you're, you're scratching and clawing for that. You're trying to, you know, <laughs> be a, a leader for your family and, and be there present for, you know, your wife and daughter and your kids and all that stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a, a tough task, um, to say the least, but, um, I try to do the best I can do, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I feel like I've, I'm definitely doing a better job of it now than I used to. Um, you know, if I'm being honest when I was younger, like, you know, in my twenties, you know, early thirties, I, I had some failed relationships, you know, for sure, because, um, you know, I put hunting first, you know, a hundred percent and, um, you know, thought I was doing a good job of balancing it. But now when I look back, I really wasn't, you know, I was, I was putting more on the, on the hunting plate and not enough on the relationship stuff. And, uh, you know, it cost me some relationships and, but I learned and I grew and I feel like I'm in a much better spot, a more mature spot. And I've honed some of those hunting skills over the years from all that dedication and putting it first. It's, it's allowed me to develop some skills where now, yes, I can go travel and get to some of these other states, even if it's only for two, three, four, five days and, you know, get on some decent animals and have some success. So, I mean, (laughs) there's been some benefit from it, but uh, I'm in a much better spot now, I think, with uh, balancing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely got out of balance in my life at different times. And um, like you, I was so driven when I was young. It was absolutely everything to me. And, um, you know, it took care of family and I, I found the balance some way, somehow and survived through it and everybody else did too. And, um, and, and, but you know, I've also got out of balance with, um, work or with these personal houses or other things there. And so it is like, you almost have to get out of balance to make the realization that you're out of balance and that things aren't quite correct or that you're not happy in the state that you're at. And then you make adjustments from there. Uh, but I do think like on the hunting side of things, 
I love what you said about like working at your craft and like working at your hunting skill set, like putting this time in and this dedication to it. Uh, you're you're building this hunting skill set, and and really that's what it's about. And it's not it's not built in one day, one week, one year. This is like a lifetime of dedication of absorbing these um, different places, different species, different challenges, weather and things, taking it all in. And then, you know, we we become pretty proficient hunters and pretty good at our craft at showing up and giving ourselves a good chance at success and good chance at um, encounters and, and stocks. And, um, and and really it's that it's that hunting skill set and that love for it that um, – that gives us a good chance. But yeah, I think, you know, we're all at different points in our journey and I think it's tough for guys to realize, you know, they don't see all the work beforehand. Like uh, now I have a social media and, uh, you know, when I harvest things, like there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of eyes on me. And so when I harvest an animal, it's like, man, Brian, killed a nice animal but what they don't see is the 20 years before of me running every single day or just like you today you know waking up at five o'clock getting my run in so i can get my kids to school so i can get to work so i can uh then be there at night with my family and so nobody sees all this work behind the scenes all the hours instead of watching tv i'm stretching and i'm on my on x or i'm on my google earth and i'm thinking about hunt I'm going to do and how I'm going to attack it. And it's like these hunting skill sets of having this skill and then also spending the time and effort to learn these different places. It comes to fruition once we're on a hunt. And and guys don't see a lot of that behind the scenes, but that's what what goes into to to making a good bow hunter is all that work behind the scenes, uh, all those miles and workouts and all those arrows and tinkering with with the bow and you know like I just set up a bow and a lot of guys you know even really good shooters will set up a hunting bow and say well it's good enough and it's this bow I've already tore this thing down two or three times and it's a brand new bow that I had tuned you know with three arrows out of it but there's just a lot of tinkering that goes on that setting up a bow is a process for me to make sure that I have trust in it. It's absolutely dialed and and I like doing it as well. And so, you know, I may have everything set up and like I, I caught a tip the other day about like, uh, uh, knocking points being too tight on the serving and, and robbing speed away from the arrow. I started looking at my knocks and man, they're a little tight on there. So instead I tear down the whole setup, reserve the, the, my bow, refine my center shot, retune and go back out of shooting. And maybe I only gain a few feet per second, but that arrow is coming off that string cleaner. And it's also coming off more forgiving for the paper tune as well, or for the tune of that bow where, you know, it's not sticking to the string and those little tiny moves like that, they make a difference in the end, you know? So, uh, uh, we do, as we improve our skill set, we also get good in a short amount of time and your duration of your three, four, five day hunts that you're talking about, we are really efficient in that amount of time where we can just go so hard and put so much effort in that I find a lot of times, like I love to have the time and to be able to, uh, be present in the moment and really enjoy. Like I love a seven day hunt or a 10 day hunt. I, uh, I live for those hunts, but in that same breath, I'm almost more efficient in the three, four, five day hunts or doing two of those and coming back and checking in with the family than I am one big go, you know? 
Yeah, man. <laughs> it's so funny listening to you talk because I, I've felt this way for years listening to you. And I was just like, the, the way you talk about bow hunting and your preparation and how passionate you are about it, it's like, it's almost like hearing myself talk um, because I look at it and feel the same exact way. I mean, we're, we're right there together with how we, with how we, you know, kind of work through this whole process and, and how detailed we are, um, you know, touching back on like your, your path, all, you know, all those years of, you know, starting off when you were like such a, a go-getter and, and maybe you were getting a lot of your animals killed, you know, through just persistence and grind and, um, you know, until that, that, that one lucky opportunity comes, um, I was the same way, you know, I used to hunt, um, because I work at a school, I get out at, um, three 30. So hunting around here in Michigan, you know, I was able to hunt most evenings. And then on the, on the weekends is when I would get my morning hunts in. Um, so it, it was no shortage of hunting time, at least locally. Um, but I would hunt, I would hunt darn near every day of the season, you know, and I'd come away with like one good buck, you know, and it's like just grinding all those days. And it's just, I killed them more out of just per, just stubbornness and persistence, but doing that for years, you know, you start to learn, you start to make these mistakes and then you, you eliminate that mistake. And then the next time you, you do it, you do it a little better or you pick up on these tendencies of, of what these deer do or where they like to travel or where they live in daylight. And it's like, you're, you're trying these little stabs and these things that aren't working, but what you're doing is you're just developing this like internal instinct, you know? And it's like, I've always been the type to um, just be on the more aggressive side. I feel like, I feel like when you're on that aggressive side and you're willing to try new things, you're kind of like always pushing your limit. And if you're more of a conservative hunter where like maybe you sit back and oh, I don't want to, I don't want to go in there and spook anything. Um, yeah, that's a safe way to play. Maybe you're preserving a, an area or whatever, but I think when you're coming up, like because you're not pushing the limit, you don't, you don't know what your limits are, you know? So you're, you're sitting back, you're, you're losing opportunity of making those mistakes and improving as a bow hunter. So I've always like, I've always had that more, Oh, you know, what's the worst going to happen? I'm just, I'm going to go in there and just try to make it happen. And yeah, I blow the deer out. But, but now I know like, okay, you know, if I would have done this, I would have got in on that deer. I would have got set up and he would have never known I was there. I pushed maybe I pushed a little too far. And when I see that come across that scenario next time, I know like my instincts will kick in. It's like, no, this is, this is good right here. I don't want to go in any further. He doesn't know I'm here. I'm within that red zone. He's going to get up from his bed and he's going to move in daylight. He has no clue I'm here. So it's like, you know, what over time what's happened is what took me an entire season to kill, you know, one, one good buck. Then it slowly started transitioning, uh, transitioning into killing two good bucks, you know, in that, in that whole season. You know, and then, you know, you look fast forward 10, 15 down, years down the road, you got a kid and all of a sudden you can hunt half as much, but you develop those skills. You made those mistakes and all these instincts have like developed and you don't even realize that you're becoming a, a better bow hunter. And now I'm killing two bucks hunting half the season. You know, it's just like, boom, you're becoming more efficient. And then you're, you're still, you're like, you're paying attention to, you know, you're shooting, you're working on your shooting so that when you do get that opportunity, you don't screw it up and you're still pushing the limits, developing those instincts, instincts and removing those mistakes. And 
you know, next thing you know, you're hunting 20 days a year because your daughter's in sports, you're killing three or four bucks, you know, and all of a sudden you become this like really efficient bow hunter um, without even really realizing it. It's just, just because of that level of dedication and discipline. Um, that's, I mean, that's been my path and that's my hunting season now. Um, you know, I hunt, I hunt the least I've ever hunted now. Um, and it probably will be that way until my daughter gets out of high school. She's got, uh, you know, finished up her eighth grade year and, and then the rest of high school, but I've been, I've been extremely efficient. Um, you know, not only around home, I've hunted 18 different States. Um, you know, so it, it does not scare me one bit to drive 18 hours to Wyoming to hunt three days. I've done it. Um, I've, I've flown to Nevada to hunt for, you know, five, six, seven days. Um, I've been to uh, Nebraska and the Dakotas to hunt two days. You know, I, last year I drove 19 hours to hunt South Dakota. I had two days to hunt. And it's it's because I have the confidence that I can go there, get on a decent animal, and make the shot count because I've been doing this all these years and, and putting myself in those positions. If I had been scared to, you know, travel, um, you know, and just like, ah, oh, there's not enough time to go to Illinois because I only have two days to hunt. Well, then I would have never experienced that. I would have never even put myself in that situation. And because I was willing to do that and not being afraid to fail, like I started doing that, like, Hey, I can get on these animals, you know, and maybe I don't tag out every time, but like, I'm having a good hunt. And, you know, to your point too, you said you feel more efficient on those those shorter hunts sometimes I fully believe that because that has been um, what I've been able to give into a hunt as far as time has been those, you know, that two to four day hunt is, is pretty much my standard. Occasionally I can stretch it out uh, um, an extra day, but that two to four day, when you put yourself in a hunt like that over and over and over, you have a different mindset. You know, you, now you're, you realize that you're on, a bit of a time crunch, you're fully zoned in, you're fully focused from the second you cross that state line, you're in hunt mode. You're it, you're completely committed. Um, everything else is blocked out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking naps. I'm not going back to the hotel for lunch. I'm not, um, you know, doing any of that stuff. It's just, it's complete and utter focus on the task at hand. And you just you, you start to become more efficient because you have this little time constraint. And, and maybe you're a little more aggressive than you would be if you had 10 or 12 days. But you have that confidence to be more aggressive because that's the way I've been doing it for 25 years now. I've, I've always had that aggressive approach and I've been able to fine tune those mistakes. What's too aggressive, what's not aggressive enough and kind of fine tune that. And I have a really good feel for that, I think, for the most part. I still make mistakes, but. I'm able to go on those hunts and, and be aggressive just enough to get me in the game. And a lot of times get me an opportunity, you know, at a, at a good buck that I'm happy with. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I've, I've asked guys, I've talked to guys, you know, most guys wouldn't even go four or five hours if they only had two days to hunt. Um, I mean, I've done, I've done that uh, plus, you know, times three in some cases <laughs> with only just a couple of days to hunt. But I, you know, I'm an Eastern guy with limited time and I am a hundred percent in love with the West, man. I mean, it has my heart. 
it has since, you know, eight years ago when I first started going and, uh, I'll do anything, you know, to get out there multiple times a year. And it's just, it's just the way it is. And if I had never done that, you know, I would have never have the confidence to, to go and have a short hunt like that and have success. And that's, um, very well said. There is a, a, a bunch of good points in there, Andy. Yeah. Just, um, it's so fun to have these in-depth conversations um, with guys that uh, have, have put in the time and the effort. You learn so many great lessons throughout it. And I just I find so many similarities. And you're in Michigan and I'm in Montana and our paths are so similar and our way of thinking is so similar. Like we almost arrive at the same point on a lot of this. I um I really like like uh, building your hunting style. Like I'm the same way. Uh, so aggressive, <laughs> like, um, like overly aggressive in my younger years. And especially out West, like I, I'd, I'd go to the end of the earth just to get a stock on an animal with the wind wrong, you know, and you do make mistakes and you blow animals out. But I, I, I just love the way you talk about it, how that's like learning and you're learning your boundaries or learning how far you can push your aggressiveness. And as I get, as I get older and I get more seasoned, I still have that aggressiveness, go for it, give myself a chance attitude. But it's like I'm I'm able to splash in more patience and I'm able, you know, you said it. You said you're you're able to read the animals, you're able to read the situations and know how far you can push it. Like you start to learn what you can get away with and what you can't. You start to learn what is reckless and what's aggressive, you know, you start to learn like, oh, I can't push this scenario any further or I'm going to get busted and it's going to blow it up because I've already done that a hundred times, you know, like I've, I've learned my lesson there. So I love that. Like, um, like trying to like, like be aggressive, give yourself a chance, put in the miles, give yourself a stock, like, and, and go in there and mess it up. And, 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 and you brought it to my attention that that's, that's kind of made me the hunter that I am is being able to find what I can get away with and what I can't. And now like that, I, that I have this experience and I'm able to, it seems like the more patience I develop now, and it's not, you know, it's not patience of sitting around waiting four days for a stock, but it's this patience of knowing when it's right and when it's not and knowing just what I can get away with and what I can't. I start to learn these boundaries of how far I can push my aggressiveness and give myself a chance uh, without blowing the whole thing up. And it's still, you know, it's like easy to sit back and and, and make excuses why it's not going to work. It's it's like tougher to like have this aggressiveness and want to go make a play the moment you see just the sliver of opportunity or you see this chance where you can go get into an animal or sometimes it's just like man I just got to get over there and then see what the conditions are over there and maybe I get over there and the wind isn't right or I can't get on them but at least I've put myself into striking zone to be able to make that decision. And I'm not making that call, you know, two miles away on a vantage point without crossing that draw. Like I always want to make sure that I'm giving myself a chance, but then it's also like, I have to, uh, I have to curve my enthusiasm sometimes, or I have to develop this patience to be able to know when it's right or wrong. Otherwise I'll just go and blow up every animal on the mountainside and blow every opportunity that I have. And so it is like finding this fine balance, but I still 
have that aggressive, like, send it attitude at all times. And that's been what's harvested a lot of my animals. But you do get better at, like, reading the woods, reading the scenario, adapting to the situation you've been given. So, man, I just loved hearing you talk about that. It brought things, like, uh, to the forefront of my mind that, that I'm doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I don't want, you know, young hunters to think that when I say being aggressive means, you know, as soon as you see, as soon as you see a target animal, you're going in for the stalk each and every time. It's not that it's just having that aggressive approach of, you know, or, or I guess, uh, you know, being persistent, being aggressive in, in, in working country, but knowing when to slow down. And if you do see an opportunity, um, you know, that you think, like for me anyway, there, you know, I, I came across some opportunities where, man, that's, that's going to be really challenging. But if I do this and this, perfect, I think I can get it done. So me, you know, with my type of mindset is like, I want to try that because I can see the difficulty in it. I can see that that's hard. I can see that. Only the most skilled hunter, the most, the, the guy that's super focused and does everything right could get in there. And I want that challenge, you know, and, and I've, and I've put myself in those situations and failed and I've put myself in those situations and done it right. Um, but that's that aggressive, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be absolutely slam dunk perfect, but just give me a little sliver, give me a little sliver. And I want to try it because if, even if I fail, I get something out of it. You know, I've, I've gained and I've become a better hunter, even though I don't get to take that animal home. And and I've really been able to kind of be real good about, I think anyway, you know, with, with my limited experience in the West, um, knowing, you know, kind of when to, to go for that and when to not. There's been times where I just don't see any type of way in there. Um, maybe the conditions are too quiet. Maybe the wind's bad. Um, maybe just where he's located. I just don't think I can get anywhere around there within bow range. Um, and I might choose to wait, you know, maybe wait till he moves off into a better position, come back the next day and try to, you know, trying to find him. Or maybe I try to anticipate where I think he's going to go and, and get, you know, get in front of him and kind of do more of like an ambush type thing. Or maybe I can get somewhere where I can make a maneuver if he just moves a little bit on. Um, so that aggressiveness doesn't mean just, you know, doesn't mean rammy like you're ramming these animals out of the country but you know you you do have to um you do have to push you have to push the limits a little so that you know what your limits are um you might have there might be a guy out there that has the skill he has the focus he has the um the, the, the shooting ability he has the stalking ability he has the um the, uh, the ability to, to be really sneaky and really quiet and slow things down and, and move with the terrain and with the shadows and get in on animals that maybe, maybe you and I couldn't get in on. You know, he might have that ability, but he might be too scared to even try it and to push those limits and he never gets there. So I always, I always encourage those younger guys. I get a lot of Instagram messages of guys I can tell were just like me, like in their twenties. And they're like, what would you do? You know, what would you do here? What would you do there? And I, and I always say, I was like, man, go for it. You know, be aggressive, be willing to make the mistake, you know, try to be present, try to be focused. Don't be rammy, but be aggressive and go for it. You've got to push those limits. So you know what your limits are. You've got to make those mistakes 
to develop into a better hunter. And if you don't, if you always play back, if you always play conservative, you always play it safe, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. You're going to miss a lot of opportunities for growth, much less shots on animals. So, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of knowing when to, you know, when to push and when to pull back and when to sit and wait. Um, you know, even on the whitetail side, um, you know, I'm a very, very aggressive whitetail hunter, but I'm aggressive when the time is right. I dive in when the time is right. I kind of hunt. Sometimes I do things that are a little unorthodox, just hunting from the ground or getting up in a tree, just getting my feet just off the leaves enough, like on a little platform or something, just so there's no noise and just in a saddle behind behind the tree. So I can just lean out a little and make that shot, but I can get in really tight to these animals where a lot of guys are failing because they, you know, they're not taking into account how noisy they are, you know, getting to the stand, walking through those leaves or where they can be seen from, you know, on the terrain or they get to their tree and they're climbing up this ladder and yeah, maybe the spot's good. Maybe they did a great job of, of scouting and picking out a good ambush location, but they didn't take into account what that buck can see from his bed a hundred yards away. And here they are climbing 20, 22, 25 feet up into the tree. And this buck is on a knob across the drainage. And he's like looking at you ascend the tree. You know, you just blew the hunt where if I come in from a low spot or something, and I'm creeping in like I'm stalking on a, you know, an antelope, you know, that's that's 30 yards away or something, just trying to be so quiet. And I get to the base of that tree and I'm behind it. You know, I never silhouette myself. I don't ever climb higher where that that deer can see. I put my little platform on. I get in that saddle and I'm, I'm using the tree as cover. All of a sudden now I'm in that same location. But because I did my scouting, I knew kind of where the deer were bedding, what they could what they could see from my scouting. Now I'm in a position to kill that deer. So you, you do, you know, you do have to push and be aggressive in those younger years to really grow. And, and I think to maximize your growth. And if you don't do that, you're going to have a slower track to becoming a better bow hunter. Um, if you are aggressive, be willing to make those mistakes, but correct those mistakes and learn from them. You got to be able to do that then you're on the fast track. You're on the fast track to becoming a seasoned bow hunter. And that's what I always encourage guys to do. Um, you know, don't play it safe unless your instincts tell you to. Believe, trust your instincts. If your instincts say, slow down, maybe this is far enough, go with that. Trust your instinct. And you might find that you're in the perfect spot. You might, fi- you might find that you were 50 yards off. You should have went 50 yards further and set up. Well, you just learned. You know, so and then those instincts kind of they recalculate, they recalibrate and, and you can use that on on a, you know, a next the next situation or the next uh, the next hunt where you encounter a situation with those those same type of things going on. So it's it's a it's a cool thing, man. But, yeah, you have to you have to be you have to make those mistakes to grow. You have to be willing to, to be aggressive and push to really figure out what your limits are and to keep pushing those limits. I always tell my daughter, I was like, you know, cause she has a habit of when we work out in basketball, her and I, like we go to the gym and we, I put her through a little workout or whatever. I, I can tell she's always given me like 70%. Right. So I always, t- I always tell her, I was like, this is where you're at right now. This level right here is your limit. And when you give me 70%, you're going to here, you're going to here. Every time we go out and practice, you're going here. 
you're giving me 70%. This line never changes. But when you give me 100% and you push as hard as you can, you keep hitting this line and it keeps going up, keeps going up, keeps going up a little more. And I just, I try to show her that, you know, physically show her that so it makes sense to her. Um, and that's the way I feel about, about hunting. You gotta, you gotta test those skills and you gotta push those limits because you might, you know, you might have some, uh, some incredible bow hunting skills that you haven't even tapped into yet. So you just got to have that mindset and go for it. I think. Yeah. Um, I love your mindset on it, man. It's, um, it, I, I love being, um, uh, like that creative thinking is rewarded. I love you sneaking into that spot with that buck and not climbing high where he can see you and making sure that you're, uh, not making a bunch of noise getting in there. Like us as humans, sometimes we don't, we, we don't, uh, realize the vibrations that we put out in the woods when we get out there. Like we're, we're real human. And when we're making this noise, we're alerting all the animals who are there, um, so I think that's like that creative thinking or that it's like tactful and, um, uh, you know, you're, you're really trying to come up with a strategy to kill that animal. And, and it is listening to your instincts and you're right. Like the growth comes from, um, you know, the, the work we put in definitely, but experience is the best teacher. It's like being out there in the woods and trying things and getting busted and having things go right. It's like the, the best teacher to help shape our instincts. And, um, you know, and it's also about these stocks. It's, you know, like having the mindset of no shortcuts and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get close to this animal. Like, like there's some huge benefits of that. It's almost like a, like a, a mind switch. Like you, like you, you might see this animal ways off and you're going to go for a stock and you've got a thousand feet to drop and a thousand feet to gain and a few miles to put on. And so you're moving this fast pace, but there's almost like this switch that has to flip to now I'm in hunting mode. Now I'm getting close. Now I've got to start to move slow and, and no shortcuts. If I think that buck can see me walking through this meadow, he's probably going to see me. I need to go the long way around, even though it's going to take me another half an hour or, you know, the wind is really blowing here. You know, as I get down in this canyon man, it's really coming north to northwest. Like, I need to adjust here and adjust my uh, approach to this animal to make sure that I have the wind right. And so, you know, it's like it's like making the difficult decision a lot. Like, us as humans, we have this uh, – we always want to take the easiest path or the easiest way. It's almost like human nature. But once you get on a stock or once you get a chance – you know, it is trying to do everything in your power to put yourself in range. And this is like a really difficult game that we play. Like these animals' instincts are honed so sharp that we're not going to win every battle, even if we uh, hone our instincts to the level that we're at. You know, like me and you have been doing it for 20-plus years. Like you get pretty proficient and you have a pretty good success rate, but I'm still not going to win every battle. Like even – uh, making the best decisions I can, making no shortcuts, mixing my aggressiveness with my patience. Like those bucks are still going to win sometimes. Those bulls are still going to win. But I've learned too that, um, you know, to not blow these scenarios up, to really that, um, to keep like the element of surprise is so big to me, like not letting these animals know that I'm hunting them. And, and this ability to be able to do this, to, 
to keep this element of surprise and have that be the most important thing to me, it allows me to make moves to getting close to take what the animals will give me, but I don't push too hard where I blow them out of country. And what I find a lot of times is this this is where this patience really comes in is this this patience of waiting for the right moment to then close this last hundred yards to try to kill this animal. My patience to wait for that buck to make the last move and stand up and walk out instead of me trying to angle in there and get an arrow in him in his bed and exposing myself and blowing up the scenario or being okay like being in a herd of elk and letting this six-point bull walk over the next rise and not forcing this issue because I know I don't have a move to make but after he goes over that rise then I readjust and I move to that rise and I just I keep playing the game and keeping this element of surprise and through doing that I spend more time with these animals and eventually these animals will make a mistake or they'll put themselves in a bad position or maybe I don't kill this this buck on my first go and he walks out of my life or it starts getting dark or I'm not in bow range, doesn't give me the shot. And so I'll back out of there. But that buck doesn't know I'm hunting him. Now I get another chance tomorrow. And the more chances you give me, like eventually I'm going to get it done. And so I think like not taking any shortcuts, really slowing down and just trying like over anything, keeping this element of surprise. You know, I see new bow hunters, how they, you know, they get in close and then they want to draw their bow and walk around the tree or draw their bow and walk over the edge. And I'm the opposite. I move like the hands of the clock and I want to get myself into a good position. And once that deer's head's down and he's not looking at me and he gives me the right angle, I'm going to draw my bow so slow. And then I'm going to settle my pin and execute my shot. But it's these little tiny moves and and really keeping the element of surprise in the forefront of your mind and not blowing up these animals or let them know that you're hunting them. And sometimes situations blow up and that buck catches me and I, I have one chance to draw right now. And I'm going to try to take that chance and try to shoot that buck. But for the most part, like really trying to keep the element of the, of surprise. And, and like for you, Andy, like I'm sure, you know, that that comes into play you know on your western hunts for sure and then also i bet on your whitetail hunts like trying to keep that element of surprise and not letting those deer know that you're hunting them in there yeah i mean that's yeah that's everything um with the whitetail stuff um you know i've 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 been real successful on the whitetail side um that's been my bread and butter obviously um but i've i've, I've come to be real efficient. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that has a family farm, you know, that has awesome hunting. I've, I've, I've always hunted like, um, you know, the, the cheap seats, you know, when you, you buy tickets to a game and you get stuck way in the back behind the pillar, you know, the, the spot, nobody wants to sit. Those are the spots that I hunt. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, stuff that I've been able to knock on some doors and get some free permission, public land. So it's always been a grind, but it, the, the whole, the reason I've been able to be successful on them is because I'm, I'm very thorough with my scouting, um, extremely thorough. And I locate, uh, on the whitetail side anyway, locate, you know, a few bucks that I want to chase, the caliber that I'm looking for. And then it, it really is, like you said, keeping that element of surprise, not going in there too much, not letting them know they're being hunted and move again when that time is right. And and sometimes on these, on these, these kind of like, I don't know, uh, pieces of ground or whatever that aren't really 
great whitetail hunting, they might only use a part of that at a certain time of year. And, you know, it's my job to learn when that is. Sometimes with these whitetails, it's like maybe they're traveling through there, you know, just through a, a back corner of it. You know, they're on this private ground and they're cutting through right here on a spot where I can hunt on their way to here. Or whitetails um, big time have like different ranges throughout the season. So they might spend their early season here in a bachelor group then they break up and they might move here. Um, you know, they kind of all separate and then they might move here and, and be there in the kind of beginning and middle of October. And then they might relocate to a whole completely different area to run. And, you know, sometimes you can kind of follow these trends on a certain animal that you're trying to get. And then that's when, you know, that's your window, you know, that, so I can, I can access here. This is where he ruts. He's, he's not even in here from October 1st through you know, October 20th, but come October 25th, October 31st, he's in here and he's in here for like a seven day window and boom, that's when I'm in there hunting that deer. Um, so that's, I've kind of been able to be successful in some aspects just by kind of recognizing those little, little micro patterns and being able to capitalize in on them. But if I was in there pounding away every day, you know, going in there three, four times a week, um, even if that buck isn't there, if he's there, I'm disrupting him. I'm educating him. I'm, I'm decreasing, you know, my chances at him. If he's not there, I'm disrupting all the other deer. Maybe he comes there during the rut because there's a group of does living in there. Well, if I'm in there, you know, constantly hunting, you know, checking cameras, doing all this stuff, I'm disrupting those does. I'm pushing them off pattern out of their beds. And now that's going to, you know, directly affect the buck that I'm after, or maybe it's, Maybe I'm in an area where I'm willing to take any decent buck, but it's these little micro patterns where I've been able to kind of learn and capitalize on. And then on the flip side, like sometimes when I travel, um, you know, I travel to Iowa, Illinois, um, Indiana, Ohio, um, Nebraska, um, all these different states that I've whitetail hunted in, um, you know, I don't know what's there. So there it becomes more about if it's a rut hunt, um, you know, learning, you know, finding those areas um finding those really good rough funnels and then and then being able to be persistent and mentally tough enough to put in those long hours you know so i mean sometimes it's a a 13 hour you know 13 hour sit dark to dark in a good rough funnel and, and you might get your crack on day three um you know it's a it's a different type of hunting it's an ambush style hunting but that rut whitetail stuff when you're really limited on parcel size it's not like out west on public land where you can really roam a lot of times you have to you have to find that spot and then you have to have the mental toughness and the persistence to just kind of sit there you know maybe perhaps all day um and then on another flip side too just being able to develop different types of tactics you know a lot of guys are just you know tree stand hunters hunting over a corn pile or over a food plot or maybe they're a rut guy and they just sit rut funnels but I've had great luck with with decoys. I've had great luck spotting stock on whitetails, like all these different things that a lot of guys don't do. I see, you know, I've kind of developed my own style, but then I see guys like, um, you know, Jared Scheffler, um, you know, stalking him on the ground with his recurve and using a decoy. And it's like, man, you know, it it bothers me to see a guy being so successful with a tactic that I don't feel confident in. It makes me want to learn it. Doesn't doesn't make me hate that guy. Like I admire that guy. I want to, I want to learn, you know, I want to, I want to have that in my toolbox to become a better hunter. Um, or, you know, slip hunting is still hunting, um, you know, with a bow. A lot of guys don't do that. I do it all the time. 
um, you know, I have my platform and my saddle kind of in my pack ready to set up in a tree if I come across the right spot, but I'll just slowly work through a bedding area to get some windy conditions or some wet conditions where I can move quietly through the terrain. And I'll just take my bow and like you said, I just move at like a snail's pace and I'm, my eyes are ever focused on in what's in front of me. I'm watching my foot placement, but I'm always looking. I'm looking for an ear, an antler, you know, a horizontal line of a body. And I'm just kind of slipping through the cover. And I've been able to kill deer like that too. And it's a skill, you know, it's a skill of, of patience and focus. And then boom, you spot one and you have to stay, stay hidden, you know, and stay invisible. And, and how am I going to get into a position where I can maybe get a shot at this deer? Can I, can I sneak up behind this big oak tree and get within bow range and shoot him in his bed? Or I might have to recognize like, Hey, I can only get another 20 yards and he's 80 yards up ahead and he's in cover. Like I got to get to that tree and then I got to sit and I got to wait and I got to let him make that, that final move, you know? So it's a cool game. Um, but some of the things you were talking about, like I was, I just jotted a few notes down. Um, you know, I remember my first mule deer hunt out West. Um, it was in Wyoming. Um, I had went out there for an antelope hunt and I got an antelope, saw some mule deer. So I was like, I'm coming back here. Um, came back the next year and we talk about, you know, being super aggressive or kind of knowing when I was a, a beginner mule deer hunter. And I read, you know, I read a lot of mule deer books, watched a lot of videos and stuff, you know, just trying to kind of learn as much as I can studying the animals on video and just seeing, you know, how different guys approach it. And it, I did see a lot of that spot and stock where, you know, you'd glass up the buck, kind of let them go to bed, let the sun get high, let the thermals kind of kick in, get the, get the wind right, maybe get some higher winds, you know, kind of midday and then make your approach. Well, it was the first, it was the first morning. Um, I mean, it was literally gray light and I'm on a glassing knob and I look across Canyon and I see two big bucks and I'm like, wow, you know, like two big millie bucks, my very first morning hunting. And I'm like, man, all right, I'm going to watch them, you know, and I'm, I'm watching them. It's getting lighter and I'm glassing and it's like both of them are shooters are about equal size. This is like, um, you know, Wyoming kind of front country kind of foothills of the Bighorn Mountains, like a considered like a, I guess more of like a general unit, but they were big deer to me, you know, 150 type, you know, type deer. Um, and I'm watching them and I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to let them bed down. And the more I look at it, there's like this big rim that goes around with this kind of like spine ridge. And I'm like, they, they were feeding like right under that spine. And, you know, I'm across Canyon from them. So I, I'm kind of in view. I mean, they could see me if I was like moving around big time, but I'm kind of blended in next to some rocks. And I'm like, I think I can get over there. You know, I think I can get over there right now and get a shot. And the way the wind was blowing, it's kind of blowing like this and they're here. Um, so I was like, you know, but I'd have to approach, you know, on the backside of the rim, the wind's going to be bad. And I was like, if I think if I, if I run, if I run as fast as I can and get around, I think I can get a shot at them now while they're up feeding. And, uh, you know, I, I, you talk about your running and your fitness and just that confidence that it gives you kind of out West. Like I didn't even hesitate, you know, if I'm being honest, probably a large portion of the population wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, I grabbed my bow. I slowly snuck backwards out of view so that they wouldn't see movement. As soon as I got behind a rock, 
dude, I started booking it. And I took a big wide arc because I wanted to be really, really far because I had actually had to go upwind of them. So I ran <laughs> as far as I think I could go where they couldn't win me. You know, there was a big ridge kind of between us. And I did this big arc around and I'm just, you know, just huffing it. And uh, I didn't know how far it was. It ended up being about, I took about a, it was about three quarters of a mile of the big loop that I did. But I did it all kind of like jogging. And I get to that backside and I remember the, the spine ridge had this one point where it kind of went up like this. And I remember they were right behind that big point. Um, so I get on the backside of that and I, I find that point. I calm myself. I'm just trying to lower my heart rate. I'm like, all right, you know, if they're here, my shot's about to, it's about to happen. So I, I just kind of let everything settle. And then I slowly take my boots off because they were like right under it. And I kind of creep up to the edge and I peek my eyes over and they're right there feeding and they don't have a clue. And uh, I, I had dreamt about going on a mule deer hunt. Like I wanted this so bad for so long. I drew back and I, and I'm, I'm a confident shooter. I, I shoot every day. I'm just like you with the bow. I tinker it to death until it's absolutely perfect. I feel very confident shooting at animals. Yes, I miss, uh, you know, but I, I feel confident, you know, if I can get in bow range, I can, I feel pretty confident. I can make a good shot. And I draw my bow back and I settle the pin and I, I literally was shaken so bad, partly because, you know, the adrenaline per partially from running, but I was so excited that I was about to take a shot at a mule deer. I actually let the bow down. I said, no, I, I was like, no, I let the bow down. You know, he's 28, 30 yards away. I mean, just down. And I, I just took a deep breath and uh, they had no idea I was there. You know, I was just, you know, I was just behind the lip enough. So like my arrow is going to just go right over the lip down to them. I draw back again, settle the pin and it just, you know, it's kind of doing this and I just let it settle and it just slows down to just about very little movement, almost nothing. And I was just like, pull, 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 boom, just nail it. Perfect. So that was my first mule deer, one of my favorite hunts to this date. But that was one of those situations where it's like, you, you got a window now, if you can get there now and you can only get there now, if if you're in decent shape, if you have the confidence to get over there, being able to get over there uh, without dying, having a heart attack, um, and then and then being able to slow things down, like you said, you get into that that final approach and slow things down, start to keep you know keep tabs on that heart rate, start lowering that heart rate down because you know the things you, things are about to transpire, you're about to get your opportunity. So I'm doing that that slow in, slow out, lowering that heart rate. And then, and then getting that opportunity. So if I, if in that, in that case, I mean, yeah, maybe I could have bedded them down and, and got in on there, but that's, that's tough, man. I've done that too, but that's, that's a tough situation. I just saw that window and I was like, I'm taking it. You know, I've, my instincts kicked in. They told me now's the time and, and I went for it, but uh, that was pretty cool. Dude, the coolest, um, <laughs> Man, that's so wild. That is, that is so difficult to do. I love your letdown too. Uh, you know, I've definitely let down on animals, but you kind of you know when it's not right or you're too amped up. And definitely, you know, new species like that, I get pretty jacked up. Where I've got to remember that I've got to settle my pin and execute. Um, 
yeah, and we don't know, you know, what traits are going to come into play either. Like your your fitness, uh, like you said, there's not a lot of guys that could do that, and you don't know when your fitness is going to come into play. Uh, yeah. but, it, but it did on that one. I had a Wyoming buck that was similar. I was, um, I, I had drawn two tags and I had a bunch of time. I hunted Colorado and Wyoming back to back, both high country hunts. My buddy had filled out in Colorado. I had some close calls, didn't get it done, had to go straight to Wyoming, uh, pretty much no days off. And so I was like 14 days into hunting high country mule deer, man. I was burnt, but I was so driven. And we chased some bucks up there, and I was like, day 14, I spotted a buck, and it was one of those deals where you see him a long ways off, and it's like, man, I think I can get to him. I think I can make it, and we called it the 10K buck because I pretty much had to get up around him and run the whole way to get there. I didn't take my pack. It was just my bow, and and I remember running all the way around him, and then there is this switch where you have to slow down. I remember coming up over the rise, like where he was feeding in that slide and coming up and he was still there just feeding right down below me. And um, I couldn't get any closer and I had to make a shot. And it was like, you know, same thing as I'm having to calm my breathing and go, okay, we need to make one here, Brian. You need to sit on your shot, sit on your pin, pull, pull, pull. And I remember executing and hitting that buck perfect. And he ran down in the timber. You know, I saw my arrow coming in perfect. And, um, I actually, I, I I left him. It was getting dark, and I wasn't sure exactly where the arrow was. And I got back to my buddy that had watched the whole thing through the scope, and he's like, "Man, I watched him roll down the hill 15 seconds after you hit him. He's laying down there dead." And it was like this great heavy buck that I had 14 days of backcountry in, and it's like it came down to my physical fitness, like that being able to to make this run around and confidence in my skill set. And you're right, your instincts almost tell you, like, um, you know, I can kill this buck. Like, right now is the time. I need to go. I need to make this happen right now. And I had that same feeling on on that buck. And 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 learning, you know, when you when you started talking, you were talking about learning these deer and, and learning these species. Like, um, there, there's so much that goes into knowing the animal that you're hunting and like learning from that am of uh, that animal and learning his habits and behaviors. And like, you're able to kill a lot of these deer, uh, by being able to read the terrain they're interacting in and knowing the deer's habits and, um, where they're moving through being able to identify rut funnels like this knowledge is key and, and our tactics change. Like a lot of times, you know, I know in the early season, I love to bed a buck down and stock him in his bed because I know that buck isn't moving. I know I can really take my time and be quiet moving in. Uh, but, but that's not, it, it doesn't always, it's not a hundred percent, uh, successful as well. And as it gets into later season, my tactics will, will change to where, I'm more aggressive and almost want to stalk a mule deer on his feet because either they're disappearing in timber or they're rutting and chasing does. And so they're going to be on their feet most of the day or, you know, there's just a bunch of scenarios that come up. And so my tactics from the beginning of season to the end of season will change just because of the, uh, the deer's habits and my knowledge of it or – Sometimes my tactics will change because of the habitat I'm hunting. I know 
Like, I love hunting high country mule deer. In a lot of these western states, it's fairly open where you can bed these bucks and get really good chances. But as I start hunting Montana high country, there's like a lot more cover and a lot more timber. And even though I'm hunting this early season and these bucks have this alpine attitude and they're bachelor herded up and they're feeding a lot, you know, I get in there and all of a sudden I can't bed these bucks down like all just bed them in a certain patch of timber, but I don't know where they're at inside that timber. And so it turns into this low percentage play to try to stock them in their beds because they disappear from me. And so like this creative thinking is rewarded, like being able to identify these situations and adjust your tactics for them. And so when these bucks bed in this timber, I know that when I'm hunting Montana, like I got to try to kill this buck when he's up on his feet. Um, morning isn't always the best time, but I love this afternoon, evening. And so I start to go, okay, so he's bedded in that timber. I don't want to go into that timber and blow him out or try to still hunt it, uh, which still hunting is a great tactic. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like I really work on my still hunting skill set, especially for elk or like when I'm hunting axis deer, where I really need to be able to still hunt through country. But I like to still hunt when they're still on their feet in these morning hours or these afternoon evening hours when they're up and moving more so than when they're bedded down when they're bedded down a lot of times it's like a 50 50 they're gonna pick me out before i pick them out you know or or you know maybe vice versa but i just see this as a low percentage chance so like these bucks in this montana high country i'll see them disappear into a block of timber and now my strategy changes i'm not trying to kill that buck in his bed I'm trying to move in and give myself a place where I can see him come out in the afternoon or I can ambush him and be sitting on the meadow I think he's going to come feeding out in, have the wind right, and then have him walk out. And so this this change of tactics, it's like – you know, we have this skill set, but we can't go in convinced we're going to do one thing. Like we have to listen to our instincts and we have to adjust on the fly with our tactics to match, you know, the the animals that we're hunting and also the habitat that we're hunting and try to adapt to that habitat. And I think that's really where we start to see consistent success is where we start to adapt those tactics to the terrain and the animals that we're hunting. And then pretty soon it just seems to come together. That plan seems to come together, but it is there's so much strategy involved in it, and um, uh, it, it is like uh, this evolution and learning from our mistakes, and we get better, and then you just get better at like really listening to your gut and your instincts. Like when you have that feeling, like you did on those bucks, like you're looking at those bucks and you're like, man, they're close to that rim, and man, that wind is pretty good on that rim. I think I can kill that buck off that rim. But I've got to go now. Like my my uh, my my time is running. Like my time is limited with this situation and with this um, opportunity. And so you recognize it, and it's like, oh, this is my chance. I get, I need to go now and try to make this happen. And it, it doesn't work out 100% of the time. But I think when you adjust to the animals and the terrain, and you really listen to your instincts, you just give yourself a way better chance at success. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why, you know, comparative like to you, like I'm a, I'm a beginning Western hunter. Yeah. I've been going out there for, you know, five, six, seven years, you know, and hunted, you know, we've killed some, you know, a handful of antelope, handful of mule deer. Um, but I'm in that, I'm still in that, um, learning phase, you know, it's super, super exciting to me. 
Um, just like when I first started whitetail hunting, you know, those first 10 years, it's like, you know, you're calling your buddies every day. You're talking to your buddies about this and that and what you saw and what you learned. And it's like this really exciting phase of hunting where you're, you're growing and you're learning together. Well, that, that's where I'm at right now um, with the West. I think hunting um, Michigan whitetail is an extremely uh, difficult thing for mature deer. It's, it's a very pressured area, very high competition, very few mature deer. Um, and I truly believe it's been a, a great um, like training ground for not only whitetail hunting in other states, Often when I go to another state, it, 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 it comes very, not easy. I don't want to say easy, but it, it becomes easier to me to get on animals because I've, I've had to grow and learn in some of the toughest conditions. But it's even served me well out west because I have that discipline and I have that attention to detail. Um, so I've been able to be successful, you know, on some decent animals, some pretty good animals. Um, but I'm in that phase still of just like, pure excitement and pure learning and yeah I'm, I'm i'm going on my instincts and i found that hey my instincts in whitetail hunting and because i've i've tried to um be good at spot and stock whitetail and still hunting whitetail with a bow and you know all these different tactics it has translated into you know a short a shorter learning curve on some of these western critters um but but man i love what you said about you just never know what you're going to encounter and every little stock and every little hunt is different. And it can be so different, much different than a lot of these whitetail hunts, you know? Um, and, and I'm just in love with that. I'm, I'm testing um, skills that uh, maybe weren't, um, you know, maybe I didn't even realize that I needed to develop as a bow hunter, but I'm, I'm now I'm testing those skills against antelope, spot and stock antelope, like so hard, right? Or, you know, mule deer in the high country or kind of the mid country or even the plains and the prairies, you know, they all have their challenges. And it's just every time I go out there, it's just a whole brand new adventure that I'm just, uh, I'm just completely in awe of. It's testing all these different skills and instincts that I've, I've never had to test and I'm, I'm just in that phase, man, where I'm just in love and just uh, so excited. And I'm just my, I feel my heart getting pulled out there like 24 hours a day, you know, and I just, I just want to experience more. But um, I wanted to tell you about this one, this one other mule deer hunt real quick, because it's kind of like the total opposite of uh, that Wyoming buck, but this one's super cool because it was a really, a really technical stock, you know, it was one of those things, like I told you earlier, where I, I saw, I, I was observing everything and I saw this little tiny sliver that, you know, maybe just maybe if I do everything right, maybe I can get an arrow at this deer. And perhaps the smart play would have been to sit back and wait. But in this case, it worked out for me, but I really, I just wanted to test myself. I'm like, God, a really good hunter could do that. You know, Brian Barney could do that. You know, you know, someone that's a really good mule deer hunter could do that. And I just wanted to be able to, to do it, even though the odds seemed pretty slim. But so I was glassing uh, from this knob and I saw this was in uh, mid to late October, uh, right around October 25th, somewhere in there. But I see a, a group of two bucks with a, a big group of, of does, a big herd of does. And they're kind of working off um, this high ground. This is kind of like in... Uh, you know, kind of prairie land, um, breaky country, um, 
you know, little coolies and, and stuff like that. So not, not high country at all or anything, but um, I'm watching these to kind of move through the landscape and I'm on a, like an adjacent knob glassing like across Canyon. And I'm watching them. It's a big group. So I'm like, Oh, this is going to be tough to beat all these eyes. Well, they drop down into this Canyon and they're kind of feeding and the buck beds down uh, the two bucks bed down and then the does bed about, I don't know, 50, 60 yards from them. And I think there's like six or seven does. And, you know, th- these are the types of things that like a beginner guy like me picks up from guys like you, you know, like that first bed, you know, that they, they bed down and then often they'll get up and relocate. So they bed down and they're in a great spot. You know, they're, they're actually in a decent spot because where the does had bedded, they were fur- further enough away and kind of around this little knob where they weren't, um, I, I felt like I could have maybe get in there, but I was like, you know, the route I would have had to take to get all the way around this Canyon and come over the top of them. Um, it was a long ways. And I was like, I'm just worried. They won't, they won't be there. So I'm going to sit and wait and let the sun get higher and just kind of see if they move. Well, it wasn't 20, 30 minutes later, you know, they get up, they start milling around and they start moving. I'm like, thank God I didn't go, you know, and th- that, that was another one of those situations where it was, there was a lot of similarities to that Wyoming hunt where I could have booked it around. And if I would have done it in this case, they wouldn't have been there. Like I would have, I would have peeked over and like, okay, now where are they? Now I'm at a major disadvantage. So like, you know, that instinct played in there, even as a beginning, a beginner mule deer hunter, but it was like some of the information that I've heard from and read from more experienced guys. So I'm watching and all the deer get up and they kind of move around. The does kind of bed around. They bed um, just below the cedar thicket. The sun's starting to get high now. It's casting a little shade. So they bed in there. And then these bucks, they come through this canyon. And they, they go into this little tiny coulee, this little crack that almost looks like nothing. And they just kind of disappear in there. And it's like a, you know, I don't know how deep it is, maybe 70, 90 yards or whatever. But it's just one of those little cracks that just narrows down to nothing. And I was like, there's nowhere else to go. That's where they're going to be, you know, and that, that was creating some shade. So, so now I had to think about like, you know, I got these, these two bucks bedded here and I got these does bedded here, probably about 90 yards away. And the wind is kind of blowing like almost from those bucks to the does. And I'm, I'm, I'm playing all this out in my mind. I'm like, man, that's tough. You know, like for me to get in where I would need to get a shot on these bucks um, you know, it, the, my wind is going to be almost blowing to these, to these does and that could blow the whole thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the app here and it's like, you know, it's like nine, you know, nine mile an hour wind it's supposed to pick up to 13 at one. And I'm like thinking, okay, the sun's going to be here. All right. That's good. You know, if I wait till the sun's high midday, it's going to be right, be right in my back. So that's good. You know, it's going to, that's going to kind of hide my approach a little bit. Then I'm looking down at that coulee and there's like this, there's a big tree. And then there's like this little tiny cedar tree. And I was like, gosh, I wonder if I can get to that tree, man, I'm going to be within bow range. So I'm, I'm playing this all out in my head. I'm just like, God, I don't, I just don't know about getting all the way around and coming in, in between the, the, the bucks and the does. I was like, they're so tight. And I was like, man, I, I think I can do it. If I'm, if I'm really, really slow, and I cut the wind just enough and I only get to this point because the wind's blowing like this. If I get to there, it's just going to miss those does. And I was just like, I'm going for it. You know, I'm, I'm going for it. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. It looks almost impossible, but not impossible. And, uh, 
So I did. I pulled out, backed out, made the long hike around. I was, I was in no rush. So I'm not sprinting. I'm not rushing. I'm like, I'm, I'm hiking. This is where they're going to be. I feel confident. And I'm kind of going through this the whole hike around. And I come in from that other side. You know, I sit there for another 45 minutes. I'm letting that wind pick up, letting that sun get a little higher. And I was like, all right, you know, here we go. So I start making my approach and I, I always carry milkweed on me, you know, like uh, to test the wind. I have a puffer too. Puffer is like a quick check right in front of your face. But that milkweed, I love it because, you know, you throw a few of those in the air and it, you can watch that milkweed go for 70, 80, 100 yards. So I can see how it works through the terrain. So I'm testing it and I'm watching where it's going in relation to those does. I'm like, okay, I'm good. And I'm, I'm slowly making my way and I get, I don't know, I get within about a hundred yards, uh, maybe, maybe 90, 80 yards of, of where this little coolie is. And they're down, they're down in the bottom of it deep. And I was like, okay, I was like, I'm going to take my boots off because it was, you know, it was dry out there that the grass, every, t- every little step, even though I'm moving slow, it's like, <laughs> you know, that little crunchy noise. So I take my boots off and I'm just slowly, quietly, quietly making my approach. All the while, I'm, I'm testing that milkweed, and it's it's blowing like towards the does, but it's missing. I'm like 50 yards to the right. I was like, I think I'm good, you know. And I'm slowly, and then I get behind that uh, that cedar, and I get down on all fours, and then I just start crawling. And I want to just as I approach, I'm I'm getting to the edge, and I'm I'm every inch I make forward, I'm I'm glassing that line of like where my eyes can peek over the the edge. You know, and every little every little step I make forward, I can see just a little more. So I'm clearing every little detail with my eyes, just looking for an antler tip or an ear or, or anything. So I'm moving slow, just as slow as I can. And I keep doing that. I keep inching up and I'm, I'm keeping that cedar behind and, or I'm staying behind that cedar just in case, you know, in case, I don't know if they're like bedded on that, it's that side looking up or bedded on this side looking that way. I don't know yet. And all of a sudden, you know, I get up far enough and I just see a little white antler tip. And I'm like, all right, he's right there, you know, and he's 30 some yards and he's bedded on my side of the coulee, like back facing me. It's, it, it couldn't have been a better situation. So get this. The wind is hitting me in the face. He's bedded in the shade facing the wind. And I got the sun behind me, you know, so like a lot of things just you know, in my favor now. So even if he does get up, like there, there's a blinding sun, like in line with me, you know, in his, in his vision. So I, I get to that cedar tree and I range his, his antlers now. And now I'm in there and he's 24 yards. And I'm like, all right, right man, he, they have no, he has no idea I'm here. And I'm sitting there and I'm kind of behind the tree and I'm just sitting on my butt. And, and um, you know, this is one of those times where it's like, I don't have a shot in his bed. I, I Could I stand up? And maybe slip one down, maybe. But I didn't feel confident. He had no idea I was there. A good, strong wind. It's not swirling. It's not shifting. I, I feel like I'm good. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here all day. I don't care if I have to sit here all day until that deer stands up. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I mean, the sun's beating down on you, and you're just like, I'm just thinking like, man, this, this, this is just it's torture, and I love it. Like, I love putting myself through those just hard things, or it's just like, I mean, it's miserable. But you just know, like, when you do it, you're, you're tougher and you're a better hunter for it. And I'm sitting there, and lucky um, it didn't take long. But that, that other buck stands up, and he's, I mean, 
he would have been one of my biggest mule deer, great deer, but he wasn't at the same caliber as this other one. He gets up and he just walks broadside down, uh, back further into the coulee. And basically what was happening is the sun was getting high. It started hitting his body and he starts moving back into that crack and he gets down in the shade. And I'm like, all right. So I, I just kind of like look up a little and I can, I can see that deer's rack and he's all in the shade, but half of his rack is in the sun. You know, so I'm like, okay, you know, a little more time. That sun's going to keep creeping up and it's, it's going to get on him and he's going to get hot and he's going to go back in there where that other buck was. And sure enough, man, it was like, I don't know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 minutes more or whatever. But that sun, now I can see his, his whole rack's glowing. Like I, I've actually posted a picture of that on, uh, on Instagram, but like I'm right there above that buck and his racks in the sun and his body's in the shade. And it wasn't long after that he got hot, you know, and he stands up and, uh, I was actually like, you know, I'm focused on the deer and every once in a while, I'm just kind of like, you know, you know, there's like a leaf here or something. And just in case I have to make a quick move or something like, you know, up to my knees, like I'm, I'm moving these little leaves, just picking a leaf up and moving it out. Just anything that I could like brush up against and make a noise. You know, just, just anything right real close to my body. Um, and then I, I lift my eyes up and he's up. And I'm like, you know, I, I like shook like this. I was like so startled because I didn't see him stand up. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, everything about that wanted me to rush. Like, he's up, shoot, you know. But I was like, he's not even looking at me. Like, he has no clue I'm here. And he's just standing there. And he takes a turd. And he's just like, you know has no care in the world that he just slowly starts walking back into that in back into that coolie more where the, where the shade was. And I drew back and came, came to full draw, dropped that pin on him. And I was just like, pull, 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 boom. And just drilled him. Perfect double long shot. He took off, didn't get far, but I, I just love that hunt because it was such a technical stock, at least for me. Um, but I thought it was a cool example because it was kind of the opposite of that Wyoming hunt. Same type of scenario, you know, where I could have booked it around and, and, uh, but there it wasn't the right call. You know, I would have, I would have missed my opportunity there. Man, that is so beautiful. I, <clears throat> man, I love, um, I love hearing stories like that. And, um, it is so tough to stay still and wait for that buck to stand and then not rush your shot. It takes like, it, it takes everything inside you to keep your calm and to make that happen. But, um, yeah, it's those, um, those calls we make and that strategy comes into play. But that, that is, uh, 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 like the, the stocks that we get for mule deer like that and to get in those positions and have that wind in our face and be waiting for that buck to stand. Um, man, that's what I live for. That's, uh, that is so crazy cool. And yeah, the, the, the two mule deer stocks that you mentioned are totally opposite. So there isn't like a one size fits all. It's like you, you have to have that strategy and that creative thinking and then have this set of tools where you can make different approaches where sometimes you're aggressive and you need to move now and sometimes you're so patient like the hands of the clock and moving each individual leaf just in case you have to to come up to your knees and shoot man that's um that's beautiful and i think like like this whole conversation i've just realized that you know that 
you are a student of the game. You enjoy learning. You enjoy evolving. Uh, and, and, and I'm just the same way. And even though I've been hunting these animals out west for, for longer, I'm just still learning and absorbing information. And I'm still so passionate about it. And it's so exciting and thrilling to me. Uh, and, and it's one of the reasons that I, I fell in love with bow hunting. It's so extremely difficult and it forces you to continue to learn. And even as, as efficient as I've got, I can still find myself on a tough hunt, you know, wanting to be more efficient or wanting to make these better decisions, wanting to move slower. And I still make mistakes and I'm still learning from it. Like I'm, I'm still learning and still getting better at this hunting game and I think I always will be like uh it's something that I get good at but something that I don't know that I'll ever master is like every situation is different every habitat is different and you're right you bring like that that whitetail base of yours gave you such a great skill set that now you're able to transpose into western game where if you just started western game fresh and didn't have all this whitetail experience all this experience in different states and hunting different deer uh, you know, your learning curve would be uh, a way slower, a way um, uh, you wouldn't be able to gain that 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 success as quick as you have. But um, man, you're just a student of the game. It's like what a fun conversation with you to like get on the podcast and to be able to to talk back and forth. Like I know. You know, I'll take information from this podcast that'll help make me better, you know, be able to implement it in my own game plan and to hear other successful hunters like talk about, you know, their keys to success and their keys to developing their instincts and their base and being able to have this creative thinking, man. It just um, it's so exciting. It's um, we're just uh, we're the lucky ones that have found our passion and something that we truly love. And um, it challenges us to be better each and every day. And it requires that you live this bow hunting 365 lifestyle. Like it's the only way that we can give ourselves a chance at success is constantly working and getting better. And that's with our scouting and with our shooting and with our physical fitness. And, and then with these instincts that we talked about the majority of the podcast. And when you, when you put all that together, uh, makes you pretty efficient in the mountains, man. So, um, but Andy, what, what an absolute, uh, uh, enjoyable conversation, man. Thanks so much for coming on and joining me on the podcast. I, um, it's just, um, it, it's really fun to hear your journey. Hey, it's, it's been an honor, man. Uh, I, uh, I've been a long time listener and uh, admirer of you. And I, I love, you know, out of all the bow hunters out there, I mean, you could, you could be one of the, the cockiest ones and, and and feel like you have it figured out and uh, i just love that you don't you don't have that and you're a, like you said a student of the game constantly evolving and and striving to get better even after all these years and all the success you've had in all these different species um that's the way it should be and uh um that's awesome I, i'm super honored to be on this podcast i love this podcast um uh just love everything about it and and the way you go about your hunting and your life. So, uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Um, well, um, come back on with me. Let's uh, check in after season. I know you got a big hunting season planned. Um, yeah, when it gets all said and done and the dust settles, let's get back on and chat about what we learned this season. I'm sure there'll be some, um, some lessons learned and hopefully some success along the way. 
Absolutely, man. You just say when. Okay. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks again, Andy. Yep. See ya. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Such fun conversation with Andy. Uh, it's the first time I've had him on the podcast, but definitely won't be the last. Uh, the guy is a diehard bow hunter and really, really perfecting his skill set and his skills to be effective in a short amount of time. Um, just made for a great conversation. So, um, also want to thank our sponsors. Uh, want to thank uh, Stone Glacier. Uh, just great products, great crew, really knowledgeable. Really like their sleep systems. Uh, I want to thank Matthews. That new Phase 4 is absolutely shooting for me. I'm so pumped with that bow. Uh, so I can't wait to show you guys what I can do with a full season with that thing. Um, and if you're in the market, just go check one out and shoot it. See if it's a fit for you. Um, also want to thank uh, Black Ovis. I want to thank uh, Forever Barnwood. Um, those guys were great about getting me all the stuff for my house and um, stuff for houses through Barney Construction. So really good company if you're thinking about building a house or planning on building a house, make sure to go check out their products. They have a great website at foreverbarnwood.com. Uh, also want to thank Camo Fire and uh, want to thank Eastman's for all their support. Uh, again, uh, the Black Ovis code uh, to save 10% is elevated 10. Uh, the promo code for the Mule Deer course is BrianMDC. The promo code for... Um, Tag Hub is Brian, and um, that'll save you a little bit of coin on your next purchases. So with that, uh, man, just did a great backpack trip. The bear season is so far behind here. We have so much snow and so little green grass, but um, I did do a backpacking trip last weekend where I did a couple days and a bunch of miles. Uh, really had a ton of fun. I didn't see a ton of bear tracks. I did end up seeing a, a sow and a cub or a couple bears there. Um, got a quick look at them and then, um, yeah, couldn't turn up a good boar, but it's a long season and, uh, grass should be growing, man. We got some 70 degree weather. I think it was high seventies yesterday, uh, went out and got in a, uh, a run, which felt like a heat run, even though it's, you know, fairly mild compared to summer temperatures, but upper seventies, it's good, man. I finally had the shirt off and, um, able to get in a quick five miles and, um, yeah, man, it's really good. Uh, life has been good here. Just, um, working away, trying to get finished up like, uh, uh, Barney construction has been keeping me busy trying to wrap up a couple of these homes. And then, um, yeah, it's been getting my training in, uh, running's going good, ready to step it up for these summer months and access some of this country that I haven't been able to get to from the snow. So, uh, really looking at putting some good miles in, uh, definitely getting my, my body weight exercises in my pushups, my pull-ups, uh, squats, uh, 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 lunges, things of that nature. So training's been going really good. I feel really strong. Uh, definitely shooting my bow every single day, loving that news phase four and got a great setup here at the house and getting ready to order some new targets too. uh, ready for a, a good 3d target. I got a good spot for it. I think it really helps on aiming to be able to aim at a 3d target and not at a dot. So that's important practice here leading into season. And, um, yeah, definitely need to get out and shoot angles and, uh, just keep things rolling here but uh right now it's um bear season and won't be too long another week or so and it'll be uh, dang near every evening or every time i get the chance you know mixed in between softball games and family and work and everything else i have going but um should be a fun season it it uh 
there's definitely some good boars around and um it's a good year for it i love these big snow years so i uh, can't wait to get started on that and just super excited about uh this this podcast with dan uh gosh we've just done some great episodes which i want to get released to you guys so I think I'm going to meet at the at the Eastman's office Monday, Tuesday, and probably get things set up from there and just get it released to you guys and take care of the paperwork later. And um, I just love releasing podcasts that I record for that time of the year as the information is so pertinent. And, you know, there's definitely some spring bear stuff in there, uh, definitely some tag application stuff. So I want to get those released to you guys. But um, thanks so much, you guys. I really appreciate the support. I appreciate you guys listening in each and every week. The support through social media as I've been trying hard to release uh, more content, both through the Eastman's Elevated page and my personal page, Brian underscore Barney. And, um, man, and the support of the podcast, man. This has been amazing. And, um, yeah, I just want to keep it rolling and keep this great information coming to you guys so uh, you guys can improve at your bow hunting and I can improve as well, or all hunting for that matter. And, um man, I'm just stoked. It's going to be a great season. Pretty much, you know, my season's starting to come together, still waiting for a couple draws to come out, hoping I get lucky on some tags, but, um, season's starting to fill up and starting to make plans for big adventures and for scouting trips and, uh, stoked for the, the training as that's coming good. As I know you guys are in the same headspace as I am, man, season's coming and some big adventures. Um, are uh, on the horizon so absolutely can't wait so uh, thanks you guys for the support also the reviews on um, itunes really help out to uh, help introduce the podcast to different people so i really appreciate appreciate those and man that's it better go get some work done here and um, check in with you guys next week <laughs>